Believe it or not. Howdy, you're listening to Come and Take It, a talk show about Texas by Texans, where three friends born and raised in the Lone Star State share our views on the history, culture, and just what it means to be Texan. I'm Mike Zolkowski. I'm Sean McIver. And I'm Scott Elfstrom. This Halloween, we step back into the realm of mystery as we explore the strange and spooky world of Texas ghost towns. But first, what's your favorite non-standard taco filling? Well, I'm, I'm going to throw it out there. Number one for me, go-to, not a meat taco, the taquitos from Whataburger. Sausage and egg. Boom. I'm done. And maybe cheese. If I'm feeling I will frisky. have to make yeah I will have to make the case though that I w- that's barely in the realm of uh, non-standard taco filling because the yeah. breakfast taco uh, dubbed the taquito by Whataburger is um, pretty standard these days yeah. but at one time it was non-standard it was pretty exotic there for a while we really blew some minds okay fine then I'll just have the uh, I'll have the bob the breakfast on a bob. <laughs> Okay. In a taco. Uh, just just <laughs> shove it in there. Um, well, mine's going to be, uh, I saw it at the State Fair last weekend, uh, State Fair of Texas, and uh, it is shredded smoked turkey leg meat uh, in a taco, and it smelled, looked, tasted delicious. Did they leave the bone in there? They didn't just no, they take the whole off all the bone. In tortilla? Nope. Hair off the bone and stick it in the tortilla with some onions and some cilantro and some lime. So, so how do you know it was a smoked turkey leg? It could, it could have been some other part of the turkey, perhaps a turkey thigh. Yeah, but it, there was a big sign that said smoked turkey leg. So mm-hmm. I'm assuming mm-hmm. that the vendors at the State Fair tell the truth. Yeah, right. I'm sure. I'm sure they're not serving you something cut rate that they deep fried. Yeah. <laughs> well, I maybe I'm not very adventurous with my tacos, but uh, I guess it would be considered non-standard to have bacon on there. What isn't better with bacon? Or perhaps chocolate. There is the Choco Taco, which uh, is not too bad. Mm, Choco Taco. Anyway, I mean, how do you mess up a taco? It's a taco. Hey, guys. Do you want to get some tacos when we're done with this show? (laughs) (laughs) In previous Halloweens, we've talked about the ghost stories and ghost buildings of Texas. And the Lone Star State has plenty of those. However, there's another ghost thing that Texas has plenty of, and that's ghost towns. Now, ghost towns are abandoned or substantially declined cities, villages, towns, and communities, the most famous of which contain visible ruins and remains of their more prosperous times. Some ghost towns were booming and prosperous, but experienced sudden declines, while others gradually withered away over the years. Some towns are totally abandoned, others have small or seasonal populations. In previous episodes, we've talked about successful towns that have since become ghost towns, including Helena, Spanish Fort, Adobe Walls, Indianola, and Linville. Today, we're going to talk about a few of these ghost towns. Some towns are notable just because all that remains of them are strange names on a map, like Telegraph, Concrete, Bucksnort, Chinese Coal Mine, TP City, Who'd Have Thought It, or the uh, rather unfortunately named Swastika. However, others have fascinating history and a long-lasting impact on Texas's history and culture. Perhaps the most famous ghost town in Texas is Terlingua, located just outside Big Bend National Park. The town was founded in the late 1880s when prospectors discovered cinnabar, an ore that mercury can be extracted from in that area. 
By 1903, seven mining companies had operated numerous mines around there, but the largest was the Chisos Mine, which supported a thriving community of 3,000 people. The Chisos Mine was owned by Howard E. Perry, who built a Moorish-style mansion, a prominent hotel, and used the profits of his mines to buy three large yachts as part of the New York Yacht Club. The 1930s saw the mines gradually play out, and declining mercury market eventually spelled the end for the town. Today, the only remnants are a ghost town of the Howard Perry-owned Chisos Mining Company and several nearby capped and abandoned mines, most notably the California Hill, the Rainbow, the 248, and the Study Butte Mines. For the last several decades, the population of the town has been less than 100 people, most of it supporting tourism in Big Bend. However, once a year, Tolingua swells in size to become bigger than it ever was, even at the height of its boomtown days. When the International Chili Cook-Off and the World Chili Championships comes to town, as it has every year since 1967. Another ghost town that sees periodic increases in its population is the central Texas town of Luckenbach. Luckenbach was formed in 1847 as part of Gillespie County by German immigrants. The town was named after the fiancé of the owner of a small farming community's general store and saloon. It was deep in Comancheria, but it was safe from attack due to the treaty signed by the German settlers. Luckenbach's population increased to 492 in 1904, but by the 1960s it was generally a ghost town, noble mainly for its ever-popular dance hall. A newspaper advertisement offering, quote, town, population three, for sale, led Hondo Crouch, a rancher and Texas folklorist, to buy Luckenbach for $30,000 in 1970. Crouch used the town's rights as a municipality to govern the dance hall as he saw fit. Luckenbach's association with country music began in the summer of 1973 when Jerry Jeff Walker, backed by the Lost Gonzo Band, recorded the live album Viva Terlingua at the Luckenbach Dance Hall. The album became an outlaw country classic. In 1977, Waylon Jennings and Willie Nelson memorialized Lukenbach with the song Lukenbach, Texas, Back to the Basics of Love, even though neither Jennings nor the other co-writers of the song had ever been there. Today, Lukenbach maintains a ghost town feel with its small population and strong western aesthetic. One of its two main buildings houses the remnants of a post office, a working saloon, and a general store where visitors can purchase merchandise, featuring the town's motto, Everybody's somebody in Luckenbach. Of course, the center of the town remains the dance hall, which hosts live music every weekend from local artists, as well as big stars like Willie Nelson, Pat Green, and Lyle Levitt. Luckenbach also regularly hosts music festivals, including a record-setting festival in 2009 where 1,868 guitar players gathered to play simultaneously. Another famous town from Texas history is Langtree, located on the Rio Grande north of Laredo. Langtree was originally established in 1882 by the Southern Pacific Railroad as a grading camp called Eagle Nest. It was later renamed for George Langtree, an engineer and a foreman for the railroad. Shortly after the railroad finished, a colorful saloon keeper and justice of the peace named Roy Bean moved to the area and set up a tent saloon. He later built a wooden structure for the saloon, which he called the Jersey Lily after the well-known British stage actress Lily Langtree. She was no relation to George Langtree. Bean used the saloon as his headquarters when he was authorized as a justice of the peace and notary public for the area. He called himself the only law west of the Pecos. After a notable career as justice of the peace, Bean died in 1903. In 1884, the town was authorized a post office. In 1892, it had a general store, a railroad depot, and two saloons. 
Langtree began to decline after the highway was moved slightly north in the early 1900s for a more direct east-west route. Once bypassed, the town's businesses lost revenue and jobs, which were accelerated when the railroad moved. Today, only 17 people live in the town limits, most of them the workers at the Judge Roy Bean Visitor Center. Glen Rio, which is just below the Panhandle and straddles the Texas-New Mexico border, was once a thriving center of commerce, but was bypassed and gradually faded. Unlike Helena, it wasn't the railroad that did it, but rather the interstate highway system. Much like Radiator Springs and the movie cars, Glen Rio, which originally was a railroad town, saw a boom of popularity in the first half of the 20th century, when it was a popular stop on the famed Route 66. It was home of the first motel in Texas, as well as businesses and homes built in the Art Deco styles of the 20s and 30s. By the 1940s, though, Glen Rio was in serious decline. There were no bars on the Texas side because the county was dry, and no filling stations on the New Mexico side because gasoline taxes were higher. This meant that tax income was limited and the city couldn't grow. Interstate I-40, which passed just north of town, finally killed it off. There were only gravel roads leading from the freeway to the town, and most of the businesses ended up closing. Today, there's an extensive travel plaza just off the interstate on the New Mexico side, but the only things left in Texas are the decaying Art Deco Hotel and some filling stations. Several of these buildings, including the old hotel, were used as model for buildings in the movie Cars, and they remain a popular destination for ghost town photographers. Last town we're going to talk about is a ghost town with an actual ghost story. It's about time. If you are driving west to Fort Worth on I-20, you're going to pass through a small town with an odd feature. A very tall, red-bricked smokestack sticking up into the sky, standing next to a small restaurant, a gas station, and a few other old brick buildings. This is in the town of Thurber, once a thriving company town established and operated by the Texas and Pacific Coal Company. It was founded in 1886, and by the turn of the century, between 8,000 and 10,000 coal miners and workers from all over the world were living and working in this dusty Texas prairie town. In addition to the coal mine, there was a company mercantile, a company hardware store, company saloons, an opera house, schools, churches, and, most importantly, a factory producing red clay bricks out of the dirt hauled from the ground. The tall smokestack was part of this factory, which supplied paving bricks to cities all over Texas, including what is today as Sundance Square in downtown Fort Worth. As a company town, it was completely fenced off, and the company controlled access in and out in order to keep the Knights of Labor from organizing the miners. The only thing coming in was supplies for the town and the factory. Outsiders of any kind were restricted from entering. The only thing going out was coal and bricks. However, within the town itself, the workers continued to try and unionize. After several years of dissent, in 1903, the company finally negotiated a deal with the United Mine Workers, and Thurber became the very first closed shop town in the country. Only the UMW could organize or represent labor in the town of Thurber, and membership in the UMW was a precondition of employment in the Texas and Pacific Coal Company in Thurber. In the 1920s, the town began its decline as railroads transitioned from coal to oil-burning locomotives. The Ranger oil field was discovered nearby thanks to the initiative of Thurber Mine Manager William K. Gordon, and T&P Coal became Texas Pacific Coal and Oil. Most of the coal miners moved away, and the mines ceased operations. In 1930, the brick factory also closed, and by the end of the 30s, all businesses had closed, and the town was a virtual ghost town. In 2000, the population was listed as eight, 
and the primary industry of the town is the restaurant and tours of the abandoned building. Sounds exciting. So what about the ghost story? Well, according to the Texas Escapes website, during the declining days of the early 1930s, 11-year-old Walter Costilla and his older brother, Frank, had an encounter that would stay with them for the rest of their lives. Walter and Frank were working at one of the few restaurants still open in the town. Decades later, Walter related the story that he and his brother were walking home from work around midnight on a clear, beautiful night. Quote, We came to the place where we left the road to cross over a fence in order to get to the house. In those days, many fences had stiles built upon them, steps in which one could easily climb up, over, and back down without having to climb the fence. We were approaching the stile when the ghostly thing appeared. Here came this beautiful, silver-looking thing. Walter went on to say, My brother looked at it, screamed, and ran as fast as his feet would carry him towards the house. Unfortunately, the long way. I followed, but he was bigger and faster than me, leaving me further and further behind. Once my brother cleared a considerable distance from the ghost, he slowed, then finally stopped until I caught up to him, both of us out of breath and scared half out of our wits. Only then could we gather enough courage to look back at it, but it was gone. The boys told their father what they'd encountered. He explained them that what they'd seen was something that very few people in Thurber had ever encountered. He told them the story of an incident that took place in Thurber years before when it was a booming mining community. A carnival had made a stop in the village. There was a beautiful woman in the carnival who would sing with a voice even more beautiful than she was. She was tragically killed by a local resident who became obsessed with her. The woman, he said, avenges her murder by returning to haunt the streets of Thurber. Walter said he later learned that while there were rumors of the ghost among the people in the town, he found one other person who said they'd seen the ghost. One of his father's friends told him that he saw the ghost of a woman sitting on the same stile at the fence, though he'd been drinking that night. He claimed that he'd never sobered up as quickly as when the specter rose up in the air before him. Believe it or <laughs> not. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, you, you always think about, oh, ghost town. Well, it's just a town that's been abandoned. So it, it's nice to talk about a ghost town that has a actual literal ghost story attached to it. Well, I know we talked about some of the other ghost towns, and some of those have some haunted tales and abandoned buildings. And, uh, you know, even if you don't believe in ghosts, going into, like, the, the broken and abandoned hospital and at midnight with, you know, <laughs> that just yeah. that's just asking for trouble. Yeah. yeah. So I've, I've been to two of the ghost towns. I've been to Terlingua, and I've been to uh, Thurber. I've been through Thurber. I've stopped at the gas station there. So um, pretty famous, the brick, the... The red brick uh, smoke hat stack is is pretty pretty noticeable for miles around. That's I just I find it interesting that it was a union shop town. It was a closed town. Nobody could get in. Nobody could get out. And it was right in the middle of the Texas prairie. Well, I'm not surprised. Uh, you know, anytime you bring in in the idea of like a mining, you say it's a mining town. You're like, well, there you go. I've seen enough westerns to know that this doesn't turn <laughs> out well. We know uh, how this will end. Yeah, I I like to to. I like the idea that uh, uh, Judge Roy Bean, a Texan we haven't really got to talk about yet, um, but, uh, you know, famous for the uh, Paul Newman movie. Mm-hmm. So. He's a, he's a, he is a famous Texas character, and quite a character. He is a huge character. Um, yeah. it's, it's, it's funny, there's these, you know, you look at Texas on the map, and you say, oh, okay, it looks pretty big. Then you go to the numbers and you go, all right, so it's 10% of the continental landmass for the United States. Um, 
but we don't represent that percentage of the people. There's a lot of out of the way nooks and crannies where there's these little towns that, you know, and they just they spring up and they they boom and flower for a while, and then conditions change. And you know, unless you're Dallas or Houston, there's no guarantee that your town is still going to be relevant forty, fifty years from now. Or San Antonio. Or San Antonio, true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I find the Glen Rio story funny. It's like one part of town, there's no gas stations, and the other part, there's no bars. <laughs> well, you look at the pictures of, of you know, if you go uh, looking at some of the pictures of some of the buildings that are still standing there, I totally see, oh, okay, yeah, this, it looked like cars. You know, it looks like cars now, as cars did at the beginning of the film. You know, the crappy rundown place, but... Um, you know, it's it's a sad little reminder of uh, the great uh, the death of the great interstate. Well, of the great the mother the mother road the death of the mother road death of the mother road yeah. <laughs> I you know I haven't watched it. My kids are getting a little bigger now, so I haven't watched original cars in a while. Um, <laughs> yeah, so that's that's pretty cool too. I mean, again, look, we there are these little tucked out of the way pieces of culture, you yeah. know. And I've never been to Lukenbach, but I've heard all about it. I think it's funny that the the, the the thing that set it on the map really was Jerry Jeff Jerry Jeff Walker's album Viva Terlingua, or so yeah. a reference <laughs> another to ghost another town. ghost town <laughs> in the ghost town. <laughs> yeah, and then it was sold. It sold a town. Thirty thousand dollars. Yeah. Yep. Um, quite a bargain. Yeah. No, it's really cool. Um, it's a cool place. I've been there, and, and it's uh, definitely worth a the stop off to go to go see you know is it touristy sure but you'll have a fun time i I just want to know what happened to swastika texas <laughs> like what's <laughs> the story behind that and what happened to it yeah i don't know i'm, I'm sure maybe i'm sure i know the maybe answer there's some information out there if you know what happened to swastika texas let us know so this is you know a little less ghost in our ghost stories than we might do on a halloween but some cool Ghost towns you should definitely check out. Yeah, you should check them out. Take your camera and take pictures. There's there's lots of neat things at at many of these ghost towns. Some of them are just completely gone, but these these are good examples of things of places that do have things you can see. So, from all of us that come and take it, have a happy Halloween. Woo! <laughs> yeah, I know, right? That wraps things up for today. You can find spooky notes and creepy links from today's show at brainstable.com. And we'd love to hear from you. So like and share us on Facebook, follow the show on Twitter at Texas Podcast, or go to brainstable.com and leave us some feedback. You can find our show and many other great history podcasts at historypodcast.com. And why not follow us individually too? I'm on Twitter at Mr. Java. I'm Max Sean with two ends. And I'm Scotticus. You love this show. You love Texas. You love Halloween candy and probably those Reese's Pieces too. So, enjoy your Halloween. And while you're out, tell your friends to check out your favorite number one history podcast, Come and Take It. And please leave a review on iTunes because that really helps us out to find listeners just like you. We hope you'll, um, and if you'd like to support the show financially, be sure to visit patreon.com slash texaspodcast where you too can become a Come and Take It Texas Ranger. We hope you'll join us next time And remember that even if you aren't from Texas, Texas wants you anyway.